Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy throwing his hat in the ring for president. As a Republican, his focus is on faith, family, and patriotism. We hear analysis on his campaign and vision. Members of Congress are launching an investigation into COVID-19 vaccines. They'll also be looking into aspects of the pandemic, such as the origin of the virus and the government's response. Find out what House committee members have to say about it. Fort Lauderdale's mayor is criticizing Florida's Stop Woke Act and other policies put in place by Governor Ron DeSantis. The mayor says that the city will fight for so-called social justice. A winter storm in the U.S. is complicating air and road travel. Over 1,700 U.S. flights were canceled yesterday and thousands more delayed. We look into what areas the storm is affecting and where it's heading next. Tech entrepreneur and author of bestseller Woke Inc., Vivek Ramaswamy, announced his presidential bid. Entity's Jason Perry brings us what people can expect from his campaign. American entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy kicked off his presidential campaign in New Hampshire on Wednesday night. Ramaswamy said he probably wouldn't have even thought about running if he wasn't following former President Trump's example as a, quote, outside disruptor. Then Ramaswamy keyed in on some of the people in Trump's cabinet. And when I look at that relationship between Donald Trump and Anthony Fauci, or between Donald Trump and James Comey, that is not sovereignty. That is not self-governance. That is aristocracy in the guise of democracy. And so if there's one thing that I do more than any other, it is going to be to get into the federal government, to get rid of civil service protections, to say that if I'm president of the United States and you all are electing me to put me there, and I can't work for the federal government for more than eight years, then by God, nobody who's working for me is going to work for the federal government for more than eight years either. One audience member asked him what he thought about the World Economic Forum. This, this will be the most boastful thing I say tonight, but I just want to be clear about it. There is not a person in America who has both pointed out and actually done something to take on the global hegemony of the World Economic Forum that I have over the last three years. And as U.S. President, I do not intend to stop. And he explained a bigger picture that he sees in America. The dividing line is not between Republicans and Democrats even anymore. It is between pro-American and anti-American. And when you draw it that way, it's at least 70-30, if not better, in our favor. And that is why I am running for president to revive those ideals so we have one nation left at the end of it rather than otherwise where this is going in the direction of a national divorce. That is the whole premise of my campaign. Ramaswamy is scheduled to campaign in Iowa on Thursday. He joins the 2024 presidential race with Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Jason Perry, NCD News. Next, we get some analysis on how the 2024 GOP primary for president is taking shape. A political newcomer is shaking things up. Let's hear more. Joining us now to discuss is constitutional attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to President Donald Trump, Jenna Ellis. Thank you for sharing your insight with us today, Jenna. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks. Author and biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy announced his 2024 presidential bid as a Republican candidate. He's been described as the intellectual godfather of the anti-woke movement. How does Ramaswamy's platform differ from former President Trump's? Well, I think that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, entering the race is a really great thing for 2024 and shows that we have a wide and deep Republican bench in contrast to the Democrats uh, that aren't even sure that they want to run their own incumbent. Uh, but what is very unique about Ramaswamy's campaign compared to a lot of other primaries is that he's not actually contrasting against President Trump. He is building on President Trump's first term. So just like like Donald Trump built on Ronald Reagan's legacy. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is now building on the first four years of Donald Trump. And normally we see that when you have a contender and a primary that is contrasted with a prior administration, not when that administrative incumbent is going head to head. But I think that this is a really great thing for Ramaswamy saying that he is America first 2.0. Attempting to take the baton and pay it forward, as you're mentioning here. Now, Trump got 74 million votes or more in 2020. In your view, how likely is it that Ramaswamy will win the GOP nomination over Trump? 
Well, I think that it's really too early uh, to tell. And certainly we're all waiting to see if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis jumps in and who are the other players in this primary. Um, certainly President Trump is the forerunner. And uh, there was a poll that was even out by the Trump War Room yesterday that showed that 50 percent of the GOP base is supporting Donald Trump and a potential run by Governor DeSantis would be at 30 percent. So, you know, a solid 20 points ahead of uh, the person that he, that is viewed as President Trump's uh, greatest competition. So where Ramaswamy falls into that mix, I think, remains to be seen. But he's gaining a lot of traction with people that really resonate with his message, that he, again, is not attacking his opponents. He's simply saying, let's move forward and build on the legacy of President Trump, America first policy and values, and go full steam ahead. So I think his message is one of positivity and not contrasting against his primary opponents, you make a good point that DeSantis is the X factor here. You know, what are the main differences between the three candidates as of right now, Trump, Ramaswamy, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley? Yeah, well, Nikki Haley, I think, is using identity politics in a way that is really disadvantaging her. Um, as, you know, a woman myself, I always love to just... Uh, see candidates for the merit themselves. And so I think for uh, her saying, you know, as a woman, I'm jumping in and using this tagline of, um, you know, sometimes you need a woman is actually playing at a disadvantage to not contrast herself uh, from the Biden administration that has used uh, the diversity, uh, woke identity politics to populate their administration. And we've seen how poorly that's gone with the current press secretary, with Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is not doing his job in the Department of Transportation. And now all of these headlines with um, the former uh, nuclear secretary or whatever his role was, uh, Sam Britton, who was using uh, the stolen luggage uh, from, actually, it's come out a, a designer, a fashion designer, and actually wearing her clothes, it appears. So, I mean, all of these people in the Biden administration are an utter disaster. And Nikki Haley, I think, would do better to focus on her own merit, which is substantial. Um, so as we move forward, though, I think that a lot of this is going to sh get shaken up when we see what other players, including the possibility of Governor Ron DeSantis jumping in. Very interesting. The importance of merit over gender or identity politics. Constitutional attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to President Donald Trump, Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for your analysis. Thanks so much. Members of Congress are launching an investigation into COVID-19 vaccines. A House subcommittee will be looking into the vaccine's development, approval process, side effects, and other issues. The House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, which falls under the Oversight Committee, will be investigating the COVID-19 vaccine. This includes possible side effects, the regulatory process of authorizing and approving the vaccines, and why the vaccines were mandated. Subcommittee Chairman Brad Wenstrup told NTD that the members are concerned about reports on vaccine side effects. We are concerned about that, and how are we collecting data and actually reporting on it? You know, the vaccines were initially there for emergency use authorization, and I felt that the highest risk people, and we did understand somewhat who the high risk populations were and the comorbidities that might exist, but what are some of the adverse effects and are we collecting the data accurately? One goal of the committee is making sure the country is prepared for future pandemics. One committee member, Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, said, quote, In order to do so, we must have complete transparency in vaccine research, clinical trials, and adverse reactions, and manufacturing. Another member, Congressman Rich McCormick, said he's concerned about how the vaccine was encouraged for children as young as six months old. Yet another member, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, said, quote, People do deserve to know about the long-term safety and efficacy of the vaccine. Apart from investigating the vaccines, the Republican-controlled panel is also investigating other aspects of the pandemic. That includes the origins of the virus, U.S. involvement in the Wuhan lab, and the government's response to the pandemic. A hearing in a case against Pfizer is coming up. A whistleblower sued the company over problems with the COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial, but the government declined to back her. Now Pfizer is moving to dismiss the case. Whistleblower Brooke Jackson released internal communications from the company that ran Pfizer's COVID vaccine trials. The communications show they failed to properly report adverse events and keep all participants blinded. Jackson worked on clinical trials for 18 years. She was hired by Ventavia in 2020 to oversee trials of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. 
One company official described her as an expert. She was fired 18 days after starting on the same day she alerted the FDA to the trial issues. Jackson sued in 2021 under the False Claims Act. It allows U.S. citizens to file suits on behalf of the government, but the government declined to back her and the defendants have moved to dismiss the case. A judge is scheduled to hear oral arguments on March 1st. The city of Fort Lauderdale is vowing to push back against Governor DeSantis's politics. The mayor criticized the Stop Woke Act and other decisions made by the governor. Governor DeSantis is openly taking a stance against so-called woke laws and education methods. He's been making headlines for saying that. Florida is where woke goes to die. Last year, he signed the Stop Woke Act. It basically prohibits certain teachings for students or employees which imply a person is inherently privileged or oppressed based on race, gender, or sexual orientation. Earlier this month, Fort Lauderdale Mayor Dean Trentalis sent out a newsletter. He vowed the city commission is ready to fight back against the Stop Woke Act. The mayor wrote, As a society, I believe we need to allow students to learn about issues surrounding race, equality, and diversity so we can learn from the past and be able to think critically as citizens. He went on to say this commission is prepared to act when necessary to push back any attempts to turn the clock back to when discrimination and social injustice were once acceptable. That will not happen again. Early this month, DeSantis criticized an African-American studies course for students. The governor said the course lacked educational value, was steeped in indoctrination and wrongly focused on topics such as black queer studies. The college board admitted making mistakes and ended up making changes to the course. This drew backlash from dozens of LGBT groups. In his newsletter, Mayor Trentalis wrote, When outrage erupted, the push was changed from outright eliminating the AP curriculum to diluting it through the elimination of critical components. Around the same time the mayor sent out the newsletter, the city of Fort Lauderdale unveiled this Progress Pride flag painted on a street near the beach. This came as the city held a three-day LGBT-themed festival. Over 1,700 flights across the nation were canceled on Wednesday, and over 6,000 were delayed, and conditions in some places could worsen over the next few days. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the winter storm. The storm knocked out power in some parts of California on Wednesday. Blizzard warnings were issued for the mountains of Los Angeles and Ventura counties, the first issued by the Weather Service since 1989. Interstate highways from Arizona to Wyoming saw closures. The National Weather Service says up to two feet of snow and winds of up to 60 miles an hour were expected in some spots on Thursday. Close to 1,700 U.S. flights were canceled Wednesday. Thousands were delayed. Airports like Chicago's O'Hare and Denver International warned passengers of flight delays and treacherous road conditions. It started snowing last night. The weather the entire time we were here was rather mild up until today and uh, big temperature drop, uh, quite a bit of snow and the roads were a little messy on the way here. Freezing rain stretched from central Iowa through Chicago and into southern Michigan, coating roads, trees and power lines with up to a quarter inch of ice. Minneapolis was one of the hardest hit cities in the Midwest. Motorists in the area were told to stay off the roads. The storm is expected to make its way toward the East Coast in the coming days. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. While the winter storm sets record cold temperatures in the northern plains for February, the southeast is seeing the other extreme. A heat wave from Texas to the Carolinas is setting record highs for the month. It's a stark contrast of over 100 degrees. McAllen, Texas, reached a sweltering 95 degrees yesterday. Former President Trump was in Ohio yesterday visiting the town that's still on edge after the train derailment that has left some residents sick. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us more. Hundreds of people gathered on the road outside of East Palestine Fire Department to welcome the former president. I think it's absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, this has got to be the biggest thing that's happened to this small community. His stop comes as the frustration grows for residents and local leaders. They're concerned about contamination of the community's air and drinking water. The former president describes the federal response as a betrayal while praising state and local officials. Many who gathered outside said they questioned President Biden's handling of the derailment after Trump visited the area first. 
he came before the actual president did. Like, it would have been nice if somehow we got support from that end, too. During the visit, Trump donated cleaning supplies and 14,000 bottles of water. We're here today in East Palestine to show our love and support for our fellow Americans and this hour of need. And he had a message for the Biden administration. Get over here. Senator J.D. Vance was on site as well. Vance says it's important that the folks of East Palestine stay in people's focus as time passes. You coming up here ensures that we do exactly that. So thank you, sir. It's great to have you. While others saw hope in people rallying together after such a hard time. Hopefully people stay united and get answers and keep pushing for the answers. The Biden White House has defended its response. It criticized Republicans for what it called loosening rail safety measures. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is now set to travel to East Palestine. The administration shared that the secretary wanted to go when it was appropriate and wouldn't detract from the emergency response efforts. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Just ahead, California introduces a bill to allow minors to access mental health services without needing parental consent. Get the story after the break. Wisconsin is about to vote on the next judge in the state's Supreme Court. It will decide the court's ideological balance and likely the fate of abortion access in the state. A conservative-leaning and a liberal-leaning judge will face each other at the general election on April 4th. Currently, the state's Supreme Court has a 4-3 to conservative-leaning majority, but the upcoming retirement of a conservative justice could tilt the balance to a liberal majority. The Wisconsin Democratic Party chair told Vanity Fair that if the conservative majority remains, the court could decide to uphold an 1849 abortion ban. If the liberal candidate wins, it would be the first time since 2008 that liberals would hold a majority on the court. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons is outlining its stance on cross-sex drugs and procedures for minors. In an official statement, the nonprofit warned of, quote, unknown and unknowable long-term risks and adds that the consequences of gender transition surgery are irreversible. The nonpartisan professional association represents doctors in all specialties nationwide. The group warns that gender transition procedures, quote, have a high probability of causing sterilization and also, quote, commit a patient to a lifelong need for medical, surgical, and psychological care. The association maintains that while medical, surgical, and other methods can be used to change the physical appearance of a person's body, they cannot change a person's biological sex. California legislators introduced a bill last week that would allow teens to consent to mental health services and counseling without parent permission. Currently, the state allows minors over 12 to consent only if they are in an abusive situation or in danger of harm to themselves or others. The new bill would remove that requirement. It would also require mental health professionals to receive the minor's permission to speak with their parents or guardians about the treatment. The bill says its aim is to make access to mental health for youth easier, as some parents or guardians may not seek it for their children. But some are concerned the bill may undermine parents' ability to guide their children and could serve as a cover for manipulation and abuse outside of the home. The bill is expected to be heard in committee in March. J.P. Morgan Chase is the latest organization to clamp down on the use of ChatGPT. People familiar with the new policy say the bank is limiting the artificial intelligence software due to compliance concerns and not a particular issue. ChatGPT has been the target of scrutiny since it was publicly released in November. Though it can generate believable essays, scripts, and computer code, it has also been reported to make significant errors. That's a big concern for companies that deal with sensitive personal information. Government regulators monitor the banking sector closely. Some companies in other industries have been more open about allowing workers to use AI software. Perhaps no community is more aware of the perils of artificial intelligence than sci-fi aficionados. But what happens when computers write the very stories they love? Sci-fi publication Clark's World has banned more than 500 accounts for submitting stories written by AI. The problem is AI programs like ChatGPT are able to quickly create all sorts of written works, including sci-fi stories. People are now submitting those stories generated by AI, hoping to get paid. Clark's World says the submissions appear to have come from people outside the normal sci-fi and fantasy community. 
It appears that people are cashing in on the 10 to 12 cents per published word the magazine pays contributors, and it seems to be a bit of a trend. Academic journals like Science and Nature have also made policies banning submissions assisted by artificial intelligence. Many Americans aren't comfortable with artificial intelligence when it comes to health care. That's according to a new survey by the Pew Research Center. It found 60% of Americans wouldn't be comfortable with a health care provider relying on AI to diagnose their disease or recommend treatment. But they're not totally against it. 65% said using AI to detect skin cancer could improve accuracy of a diagnosis. Still, about 6 in 10 Americans also said they wouldn't want AI-driven robots performing parts of their surgery. And almost 8 in 10 said they wouldn't want AI involved in their mental health care. Two TV news journalists were shot in Florida yesterday. They were reporting on a murder scene near Orlando when it happened. The reporter was killed and the cameraman was injured. A 19-year-old suspect was arrested shortly after the shooting. He's been identified as Keith Melvin Moses. He's also accused of two other shootings from the same day that left a 9-year-old girl and a woman in her 20s dead. The reporters were on the scene to cover that story. The two worked for Florida cable TV outlet Spectrum News 13. A motive has not been determined yet. It's not clear if the two newsmen were targeted because they were journalists. Here's the Orange County Sheriff on the shootings. So uh, the suspect is not saying uh, much right now. Uh, It is unclear if he knew um, they were news media or not. We're still trying to work all of that out. Um, That vehicle was almost exactly in the same spot as the vehicle was from the homicide this morning. So it's unclear why uh, exactly they were targeted. And, you know, certainly we're going to look into that and, and we will definitely let you know. The 19-year-old suspect already has a lengthy criminal history. It includes gun and grand theft charges, aggravated battery and assault with a deadly weapon, and burglary. And coming up, a new law aiming to block Hollywood from catering to Beijing's censorship and how the Pentagon is involved in the new restriction. Canada's intelligence service says the Chinese communist regime tried to interfere in Canadian elections in a multitude of ways. We'll have the details soon when we return. Good to have you back with us. The Pentagon has released a picture of the Chinese spy balloon. It was taken by a pilot who was surveilling the balloon while it was flying close to Kansas. The aircraft the picture was taken from is a U-2 Dragon Lady. It's one of the only U.S. aircraft that can fly at such a high altitude. Officials say the images taken from above the balloon showed what it was capable of. That included conducting signals intelligence collection. The balloon was equipped with antennas and other gear for uploading sensitive information along with solar panels to power its system. The U.S. Air Force says the U-2 is a single-seat, high-altitude reconnaissance and surveillance aircraft with glider-like characteristics. The planes fly at altitudes over 70,000 feet. Pilots have to wear full-pressure suits, similar to what astronauts use. The U.S. is taking steps to discourage Hollywood from catering to Beijing. A provision from the National Defense Authorization Act says if studios conform to Beijing's censorship, they won't get funding from the Pentagon. The act has been signed into law. Specifically, the rule will apply to studios seeking pre-approval from Beijing for their film or TV projects, especially when a studio alters its content by request of the Communist Party. Deadline Hollywood first reported on the move. In some cases, the Pentagon helps film projects by providing military equipment and technical consultancy. Take the blockbuster Top Gun Maverick. The fleet of F-18 fighter jets that appear in the film were borrowed from the Pentagon. China is one of the world's biggest movie markets. And Hollywood has a long tradition of playing by Beijing's rules. One example of that self-censorship comes from Marvel Studios' blockbuster Doctor Strange. The film invited British-Caucasian actress Tilda Swinton to play a Tibetan character, rather than cast a Tibetan actress for the role. That's over fears of losing access to China's market, as Tibet is one of Beijing's most sensitive issues. Back to the provision in the defense law, it aligns with another measure that Senator Ted Cruz introduced in 2020. 
Speaking to the China Project, Cruz said the law's language is designed to counter China's efforts to control what Americans hear, see, and ultimately think. He added that under it, studios that want to work with the U.S. government for military locations or resources will have to keep Beijing off of the set and out of the editing room. China orchestrated an extensive interference campaign in Canada's 2021 federal election. That's according to top-secret documents from Canada's Security Intelligence Service, or CSIS. The highly classified documents were viewed by the Globe and Mail. The documents also describe how the Chinese regime works to gain influence over politicians, officials, and business executives. The classified documents lay out China's two primary goals in influencing Canadian politics in 2021 to ensure the defeat of select conservative candidates and secure a minority liberal government victory. The Chinese regime's strategy includes giving cash donations to candidates, disinformation campaigns, and setting up employment for Chinese international students. The students would then be expected to volunteer for the campaigns of certain liberal candidates. The documents also describe tactics like bribery, blackmail, and seduction, methods used to gain influence over politicians, officials, and business executives. The documents further divulge that Beijing orders its consulates, visa offices, and state-owned Bank of China to alert them of any high-profile Canadians with travel plans to China. Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, acknowledged China has been trying to interfere in the country's elections, but he denied that they were able to affect the running or outcomes of the elections in 2019 or 2021. All Canadians can have total confidence that the outcomes of the 2019 and the 2021 elections were determined by Canadians and Canadians alone at the voting booth. Trudeau says he expects CSIS to find the whistleblowers. The documents show China's election interference campaigns also target Chinese Canadians. Conservative Member of Parliament Kenny Chu lost his 2021 re-election bid to a Liberal. He says China's disinformation campaign against him worked. Conservative Member of Parliament Alice Wong also lost to a Liberal in 2021. The 2021 CSIS report says political campaigns illegally pay donors back. That's by refunding the difference between the original donation made and the government tax credit. Former editor-in-chief of newspaper Tsingtao Daily, Victor Ho, says although he's seen China interfere in Canadian politics for years, the efforts were much more pronounced in 2021 and that CSIS should have warned Canadians before the election. A large-scale coal mine collapse in China's Inner Mongolia region has killed at least five people, injured six, and 48 people are missing. The collapse happened at an open-pit mine operated by Xinjing Coal Mining Company. Last year, the company was cited for multiple safety violations. The initial cave-in struck at around 1 p.m. Wednesday, burying people and mining trucks below in tons of rock and sand. State media reported that a mudslide disrupted rescue operations for several hours. About 900 rescuers with heavy equipment are on the scene, and they resumed searching this morning. Inner Mongolia is among the country's top coal producers. Like other regions in China, it's been producing at a heightened rate over the past year under a government call to boost local supply. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, President Putin says Russia will strengthen its nuclear forces, and President Biden reasserts U.S. support for NATO. Military specialists from several countries are going to Germany to help train Ukrainian troops. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Moscow is reopening the bomb-damaged Crimean Bridge just one day before the anniversary of the war in Ukraine. The bridge stands as a symbol of Russia's annexation of the peninsula from Ukraine in 2014. Footage shows traffic beginning to fill all four lanes of the Crimea Bridge. The bridge is the longest in Europe linking Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. In October 2022, an explosion blew up a two-lane span of the bridge. Russia blamed Ukraine for the blast. Despite Russia's annexation, the international community generally considers Crimea to be part of Ukraine. The country vows to reclaim the peninsula one day. 
On the other side, Ukraine is also marking the first anniversary of the war. The country has released a new banknote. The fresh bill depicts three Ukrainian soldiers raising a blue and yellow national flag. On the flip side is an image of two hands tied with tape, suggesting Russian war crimes in the occupied territories. In total, 300,000 copies will be in circulation. The Ukrainian Central Bank said they are already planning new banknotes for if Ukraine wins the war. Russian President Vladimir Putin said the country will maintain enhanced focus on bolstering its nuclear forces. Meanwhile, speaking in Warsaw, President Biden reasserted U.S. support for NATO. Entity's Kost Temenes has the story. According to a senior defense official, Russia will stick to agreed limits on nuclear missiles. It will also keep the United States up to date about changes in its deployments. This despite the suspension of its last remaining arms control treaty with Washington, as well as an announcement by Russian President Putin to boost the country's nuclear forces. Speaking in Warsaw on Wednesday, U.S. President Biden promised the United States will defend literally every inch of NATO. Meanwhile, Putin has reasserted relations with China in light of a planned visit by Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. Putin said relations between the two countries have reached new frontiers, raising concerns in Washington that Beijing could provide material support to Russia. According to local media reports, Russia has accused Ukraine of planning a false flag operation in Moldova's breakaway Transnistria region. Lithuanian President Gitanas Nauseda said he urged Biden to seek additional deployment of military equipment by NATO in the Baltic area, including HIMARS artillery or attack helicopters. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres denounced Russia's invasion as a violation of the founding UN Charter and international law. He also decried Moscow's threats about possible nuclear weapons use. Cost MNS, NTD News. President Biden says there is no evidence President Putin wants to use nuclear weapons, even after Russia suspended its last remaining nuclear arms control pact with the United States. Biden made the comments in an interview with ABC News. He called Putin's decision a big mistake, but said that he's confident Washington and Moscow will be able to work it out. The New START treaty was first signed in 2010 by then-President Barack Obama and then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. Shortly after Biden took office, the treaty was extended by a further five years and was set to expire in 2026. It limits the number of strategic nuclear warheads that both countries can deploy. Putin, in his address, stressed that Russia was not withdrawing from the nuclear treaty altogether and is only suspending participation. The Russian foreign ministry also said the nuclear weapons cap would still be respected and that Russia would continue to exchange information about test launches of ballistic missiles. Ukrainian soldiers in Germany will soon be getting help in their training. Several countries, including Norway and the Netherlands, have pledged to send trainers to Germany to help prepare Ukrainian troops for battle. They will be joined by several other European countries. Entities Kost Temenes has more on this. German military trainers are getting reinforcements. Hundreds of specialists from other countries are to train roughly 1,000 Ukrainian soldiers in the use of Western tanks and other weapons. According to a military official, this will involve between 30 and 50 Norwegian troops and several hundred from the Netherlands, with an aim for further contributions from other nations. The first additional trainers are expected to arrive by the end of March. The Special Training Command is part of a European Union military mission established last November. It aims to train up to 30,000 Ukrainian soldiers in various skills. So far, about 1,500 mainly German soldiers have been handling the training in Germany. The goal is to complete courses for at least 9,000 Ukrainians by the end of this year. Poland is another key training center, while Spain, France, the Czech Republic Slovakia, Romania and Italy are also running courses. Additionally, the U.S. and Britain are training Ukrainian troops in Europe. Kost MNS, NTD News. A once iconic Soviet-era bicycle brand is being revived in Russia. It comes as President Putin claims the Russian economy has not suffered defeat despite Western sanctions. Here's the story. 
One of the Soviet Union's most popular bicycle brands has been revived by a Russian factory after spending decades in obscurity. It's the latest Russian-made product to hit shelves, as Moscow champions domestic production over Western imports. This model bicycle used to be the most popular in the Soviet Union. It sold for the rather serious price of 98 rubles. It used to be one of the most expensive bikes. Not everyone could afford it, but it was everyone's dream to have one. The Kama bicycle became popular in the 1970s and 1980s for its foldable design and distinctive red frame. It was originally mass-produced by a state-owned Soviet plant in the Russian city of Perm, but fell out of use after the Soviet collapse of 1991. Despite the fact that two new generations have grown up since the first people rode this bike, our company, Forward Bicycle Factory, decided to resume production of Karma because we are in Perm and it's the ancestor of that large bike factory. The new model will cost about 10,000 rubles, roughly 110 pounds, and be made from parts sourced from Russia and abroad. Though producing a Russian-made bicycle like Kama has become more difficult due to sanctions. We produce many bike models, over 300. For other models, the sanctions have affected us a lot. We are now deprived of components from Japan, Taiwan, the Czech Republic, France, that we use in our production. Speaking about comma, we did not have paint for it. We used Finnish paint, and now we have to switch to another one, a similar one. Western sanctions due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent exodus of foreign companies have forced Moscow to end its reliance on imports and develop its own brands and goods. Just ahead, a new study says natural immunity is a strong and long-lasting defense against COVID-19. A French natural medicine doctor says that's no surprise. UK authorities discover pedophiles are using virtual reality headsets to view child abuse images. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. A new study in the Lancet Medical Journal concludes that natural immunity from a COVID infection confers strong protection against reinfection and illness. Entities France correspondent David Vives spoke to a natural medicine doctor who says this shouldn't be big news. Recovering from a COVID infection confers protection against severe disease that's at least as high, if not higher, as getting two doses of an mRNA vaccine. That's the conclusion of a new meta-study published in the Lancet Medical Journal that reviewed a total of 65 studies from 19 different countries. The study also suggests that while natural immunity wanes over time, researchers found that after 40 weeks protections remained strong and long-lasting for all COVID variants. For French doctor Olivier Soulier, this is hardly big news. Natural immunity is something that we develop as children, first with the B cells, then the T cells, and then the antibodies. It's the most efficient system there is. Vaccination has only one objective. It's to enable us to stimulate this immunity in a certain area of a disease that we have never encountered in order to avoid the first contact shock that could be problematic. The study's lead author, though, called vaccination the safest way to acquire immunity. In this study, even while they're saying that natural immunity works, they still end up telling us that we should get vaccinated. So it's like they're saying to you that they've just discovered that you have legs and that you can walk, but they're going to put prosthesis on you anyway. Narratives on natural and herd immunity have changed over time since the beginning of the COVID crisis. Between June and November 2020, the WHO changed the definition on their website, from herd immunity being defined as when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection, it changed to a population can be protected from a certain virus if a threshold of vaccination is reached. In France, the national drug regulator ANSM removed the term natural immunity entirely. 
Soulier says this was done on purpose to promote the vaccines. But, by the way, on the ANSM website, it has always been said that immunity was first and foremost natural immunity. And what was interesting is that this information disappeared during the COVID crisis without further notice. That's to say that suddenly the official science has completely reversed its views, with the only objective to be able to sell more drugs. The factor of natural immunity has been a key question during the emergence of COVID in 2020. The initial approach of the UK government under Boris Johnson was to let the virus circulate among the population to get to herd immunity before changing its position. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. A child protection charity in the UK is calling for an online safety bill to be tightened. That's as crime records show pedophiles are using virtual reality headsets to view child abuse images. The NSPCC charity obtained data of child abuse image crime from police forces in England and Wales. Police recorded over 30,000 offenses involving obscene images of children in 2021 and 2022, the highest number they ever logged. Social media or gaming sites were recorded in nearly a third of the cases, around half of which involved Snapchat. Virtual reality was recorded eight times by police forces and crime reports, the first time this technology has been specifically mentioned. The charity wants changes to the online safety bill to mean senior managers of social media sites are held criminally liable if children are exposed to preventable abuse. A teacher at a private secondary school in France was stabbed to death by a student yesterday. The victim was a 54-year-old Spanish teacher. The 16-year-old suspect was arrested and placed in police custody. The attack happened as the teacher was giving a lesson to a class of second-year students. The assailant allegedly stormed into the classroom and violently attacked her with a knife. According to local media, the student may have been suffering from mental health issues. There is currently no evidence to suggest the incident was terror-related. The incident marks the first time a teacher has been killed in France since the brutal murder of Samuel Paty in 2020. Now over to Ireland. The country is closing a visa scheme for wealthy foreign investors. The program has been popular among Chinese investors, but the European Union warns there could be security risks. Under the program, foreigners could immigrate to Ireland by investing at least $1 million or donating over $530,000 to philanthropic causes. Investors and their family members could apply for Irish citizenship after living in the country for five years. The scheme generated more than $1.2 billion in over a decade. However, Ireland's justice minister announced earlier this week that the country will close the program. He said the country took into consideration studies by the EU. The EU said in its studies that such programs pose security risks and called on countries to close them. And coming up, Armenian musicians play a traditional instrument crafted from apricot trees. The woodwind instrument is centuries old and usually paid in pairs. And a new discovery, astronomers detect six giant galaxies that may tell the story of the early formation of the universe. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. A masterpiece by the Baroque painter Peter Paul Rubens is back in Belgium after nearly two centuries. The painting, titled Portrait of a Man as the God Mars, is projected to fetch up to $30 million. Rubens is one of the most prominent masters of the Baroque style. He was born in the Flemish region, or present-day Belgium, in the 17th century. It was at the time of the Catholic Counter-Reformation, so Rubens devoted himself to religious works and political figures. This one up for auction was created around 1620. Auction House Sotheby's says this is the first time the artwork has returned to Belgium after 200 years. We think unique in Rubens' oeuvre, but it works extremely well. Um, You have this very martial appearance with this very strong arm and then this very soft face, which is um, very obviously a portrait looking straight at us, which is one reason why some people have speculated that it's a self-portrait, but it isn't. It doesn't look like Rubens. It is a portrait of somebody that he clearly knew well. The painting is now on a world tour. It will be on display in London later this week, then travel to Hong Kong and Taipei in Asia, and on to Los Angeles. In May, it will go up for auction in New York. 
An Armenian instrument crafted from apricot trees has remained largely unchanged for centuries. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the woodwind instrument that continues to be used at gatherings today. Most of the time, pairs play the duduk together. To achieve a richer sound, the leading duduk plays a melody, while the second plays harmony. Duduk is the most Armenian instrument in the world, our treasure and pride. We will always show the world our Armenian spiritual instrument. Duduk music has been an integral part of Armenian culture for centuries. It's played during important social events like celebrations, weddings, and funerals, as well as national dances. Some historians estimate the instrument to be hundreds or potentially thousands of years old. No one has been able to determine the exact time of its appearance with precision. There is a saying that the duduk appeared at the same time as Armenians. Nowadays, the duduk sound is featured in songs, video games, and Hollywood movies. Some hope to play it in a symphony orchestra. There is demand everywhere, all over the world, and also especially in Armenia, for national as well as international. But most of all, I would like to play it in a symphony orchestra and on a stage, and to play international, classical, and national songs. Duduk production methods have remained almost unchanged. Craftsmen in small workshops tune each one by hand. A duduk is made of different kinds of wood, such as apple, pear, walnut, but mostly of apricot, as it gets you the best tambre. So masters make a duduk most often out of apricot. Most of the time, the craftsmen use the core of the apricot tree. The tree needs to be 35 to 40 years old to make sure the trunk is thick enough. There is a dry weather. Some trees did not take root. Apple trees wouldn't take root. Here's an apple tree already done. While apricot trees survive, they are more resilient. In 2008, the duduk was included in the UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity. The first international dudukist festival took place in 2021. Now it's an annual event. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Sometimes all it takes to look younger is a few healthy habits. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. We can't live forever, but we can do some things to make us look younger. I'm not talking about spending hundreds of dollars on creams or masks. In fact, it's simple. Just get rid of these six everyday habits. Smoking. Nicotine speeds up the aging process of the skin, which means more wrinkles and skin damage. This is because smoking reduces blood flow to the skin. Good blood flow is essential for fresh looking skin. Furthermore, smoking can cause teeth to look yellow. This is going to make you look much older. Next on the list is a lack of sleep. A good night's sleep will help us to look fresher. It will also give our skin a healthy glow. Over time, sleep deprivation can reduce our cells' ability to regenerate and repair. This speeds up skin aging. Furthermore, collagen, which is necessary for young-looking skin, is produced while we sleep. So make sure to get some good shut-eye if you want to beam. Next on the list is stress. Stress can make you appear older because it disrupts sleep and messes up your hormones. This can lead to a breakout of pimples. It can also lead to hives as your digestion becomes disrupted. Next on the list, not washing makeup off. No matter how tired you are, you must make time to wipe off your makeup. Leaving makeup on your skin clogs your pores. This prevents your skin from breathing. Clogged pores also contribute to pimples, blackheads and bumps. Next on the list is a lack of exercise. Exercise is not only good for your heart and muscles, but also benefits your skin. Good blood circulation aids in the removal of waste and toxins and can contribute to older looking skin. And finally, poor diet. Eating unhealthy food really does show on your skin. That's because a poor diet can trigger inflammation of the skin. Try to eat healthy with nutrient-dense whole foods. So there you have it. Quit smoking, get plenty of rest, de-stress, wash your makeup off, get out for exercise regularly and improve your diet. 
A flight passenger suffering from a heart attack was lucky to find himself in the company of 56 cardiologists. This was a miracle on a flight of Scandinavian Airlines SAS. The plane was en route from Stockholm to Los Angeles. While crossing the North Pole, a passenger had a sudden attack, but the nearest airport was four hours away. Fortunately, there were dozens of cardiologists on board the plane. They were heading to a medical conference in Los Angeles. After an emergency rescue, the patient survived and was taken to the hospital after landing. In Fort Myers, Florida, a bald eagle is working hard to defend his chicks from intruders. Their mother went missing more than two weeks ago. You can see an intruding eagle attacking the nest while the chicks are alone. It even kicks one of them. And the eaglets can't seem to catch a break. Video from just days before shows their father fending off an attack from yet another aggressive intruder. According to the Southwest Florida Eagle Cam Facebook page, the eaglets continue to do well despite the threat. Their mother Harriet was last seen on camera February 2nd. She flew out of the camera's view in an apparent attempt to scare off intruders. Harriet's webcam has been running for years, and viewers have followed her since 2012. Authorities are doing what they can to find her. A stunning astronomical find. Scientists have discovered what appear to be massive galaxies dating back to the early time frame just after the Big Bang. These pixelated dots of light could be six giant galaxies. Each of them looks to weigh billions of times more than the sun. One is said to be 30 times smaller than the Milky Way, but contains just as many stars. Their maturity suggests the early universe may have had a stellar fast track to produce large galaxies. Astronomers doubted at first the finding was true, as it seemed unlikely that such mature galaxies could have existed at such an early date. It was kind of shocking because some of these galaxies were 13 billion light years away, and they had 100 billion solar masses and stars. And so what that means is that we are viewing these galaxies very shortly after the Big Bang, only 600 million years after the Big Bang. I know it sounds like a lot, 600 million years, but our universe is 13.8 billion years old. So we're really looking at the infant universe when it was only 5% of its current age. Researchers are still awaiting formal confirmation through sensitive spectroscopy. The latest observations are among the first data collected by the James Webb Space Telescope. Webb is considered the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope, but unlike Hubble, it's larger and more powerful. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News.